Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. Starting Points goes through the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation, including all of the major sections of the Bible. And it is designed to be a starting point for anybody who is reading, studying, wrestling with, trying to understand the Bible, which we believe to be the very Word of God. We are in the section of the Bible that is known as the Minor Prophets, and today we are looking at the writings of the prophet Obadiah. Now, as we've said in previous episodes, the Minor Prophets, um, you know, they, they, they tend to be shorter in length than the major prophets, and that's kind of the, what makes the minor versus major is the, the length of their writing. Obadiah wrote one chapter, and as you might have guessed, the book of Obadiah was written by Obadiah. Now, we are not sure who he was or when he wrote. Um, quoting here, there are two major historical contexts with which uh, he could have been writing, because he wrote and, and talks really specifically about the actions and the judgment against uh, the people known as the Edomites. And the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, uh, one of the sons of uh, Isaac. You know, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Well, Jacob's older brother Esau, his descendants, the Edomites, is who's mainly being addressed here. So they are descendants of Abraham and Isaac. And God has shown them certain amount of blessing by being descendants of Abraham, but their sins have finally come to a point where God's saying no more. And it could either be uh, during 853 to 841 BCE, where Jerusalem was invaded by the Philistines and the Arabs during the reign of uh, Joram, and that's in 2 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 21, or it could be 600 to about 585 BCE um, when Jerusalem was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and that led to the Babylonian captivity. Um, we talked about that a lot when we looked at the book of Daniel. And uh, so, so we have, uh, you know, that kind of familiarity with it. Uh, and this is directly spoken of, the, the Edomites' involvement is directly spoken of in Psalm 137. Now, the earlier period would have placed uh, Obadiah as a contemporary of like Elijah, Elisha, which we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. And there is an Obadiah mentioned. Uh, you might remember when Elijah has his big showdown with King Ahab and the prophets of Baal, there's an Obadiah who's mentioned. We talked quite a bit about him. And so some people think that it's the prophet Obadiah is the same person. Now that later date, if it was that, uh, 607 to, you know, 586 BC thing, um, that would put him as contemporary of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah uh, at least seems to parallel, if not outright, quote Obadiah. Now, from what I can tell, modern scholarship, the consensus position is that it's the later date that he's a contemporary of Jeremiah. And they think that Jeremiah is not quoting Obadiah. Rather, they think that they are both quoting from a, a different source, that they're both referencing someone else's writing uh, in that particular section. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I do know this. Modern scholarship has a bent, <laughs> uh, which I generally am skeptical of when it comes to the Bible. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I know better than all these guys. I just know that there are continually issues with any particular scholastic point of view. Uh, we, we should be constantly updating and rethinking. That's scientific. Uh, and yet academia, 
doesn't like to do that. It likes to find a position and hold to it, whether it's uh, biblical or theological academia or, or secular, historical, ph- philosophical academia. That's just the way people are. So just because the current position of modern scholarship is one thing, it doesn't mean that's what it actually is. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I tend to not think that he was connected to uh, the Obadiah in, in with Elijah's story, but who knows? Uh, there's also an interesting thing here where um, in verse 20, because Obadiah has one chapter, in verse 20, he mentions uh, Sephardi, which could mean Spain or, or Portugal, the Iberian Peninsula. Uh, Jonah flees to Tarshish, which is another name that could mean Spain or Portugal. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me just historically just how much of the world they knew about. We tend to think of ancient people as having much limited knowledge, but that they would have known about far-flung places like Spain, Morocco, so on. Um, but also how far the knowledge of the God of Israel would have been as well. Now, the basic outline is the first 16 verses deal with Edom and the Edomites. Uh, God gives charges against them in the first nine verses, lists the crimes of Edom, verse 10 through 14, and then says, here's the, the, the catastrophe that's going to come upon you, verses 15 and 16. Poetic justice, some have called it. Then he speaks in verses 17 to 21 through Israel, to Israel. He speaks about the condition that Israel is in. He speaks about God calling Israel. And he gives this hopeful future of, of God restoring all things, finishing all things, returning all things. Verses 19 through 21. Now we always ask what the human story is. Verses 10 through 11, 12, 13, 14. God says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, speaking to the Edomites, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. And on that day that you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and you cast lots for Jerusalem and you were like one of them, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in the day of their calamity, in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. And I'm guaranteeing all these things happened. As family, you know, they were all descendants of Abraham. As they watched them fall and be cut down and be carried away, They stood when they could have helped. They sneered when they could have comforted. They participated when they should have stood against. What's the modern equivalent to that? Well, how many parts of the church right now sneer and stand against other parts of the church? We have honest disagreements, and there are things within the church that are not right, and there are people within the church that should be called out or, or, or publicly opposed. I think that's all true. But that being said, people who call in the name of Jesus are my sisters and my brothers. And if there is a church or a group or a ministry that's gone astray, should I cast stones or should I pray for them? Should I tear them down or should I try to build them up? Should I stand against them or should I stand alongside them and try to bring strength and health back? Should I bring comfort 
or should I be part of the calamity? I think that speaks, the, the reason we talk about the human story is because people are people. And it doesn't matter whether you lived 5,000 years ago or 50 years ago, whether you live here or you live on the other side of the planet, people are people. And the human story repeats itself and, and echoes itself over and over and over again. And we dare not stand in the same place as the Edomites when calamity befalls our brothers and sisters in other parts of the church. We should pray for them. We should love them. We should serve them. We should comfort them. Now, the landmines, we always ask what the landmines are in a book. These are the controversial issues. Some books don't have a lot of controversy. Some have a lot. I was thinking in general terms as I was reading through Obadiah. Every reader of the Bible is going to have to come to terms with Israel. The concept of Israel. We live in a world, our, my grandparents saw the birth of the nation Israel in 1948. But they grew up in a world that did not have a nation of Israel. My great-grandparents, their parents, their parents before them. There was no, for, for almost 2,000 years, there was no nation of Israel. And suddenly they're back and we have to reckon with them. We have to reckon them with them in the Old Testament. Where do they fit in God's plans? Are they the people of God the way the old nation of Israel was? What about the judgment of God? God's proclaiming judgment against real people who had real lives. Where do we sit on that? That's troublesome because some Christians love to heap judgment, but other Christians are like, I don't want any part of that. And yet it's from the Lord. We also have to come to terms with prophecies. This is a prophetic book. Do we believe that God speaks prophetically to and through people. These are all landmines and issues of controversy in a real big, from 30,000 feet kind of sense that people are have to come to terms with. But here's where Jesus is seen. Verse 20 says, that The company of the Israelite exiles who are in Canaan shall possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in uh, Separad, remember I said that's a, a word for what probably is Spain or Portugal, will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. The, the kingdom will be the Lord's. In that moment, in that time where everything was going against them, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered by the Assyrians and the people scattered and put into exile. That's why there were Jewish people as far as the Iberian Peninsula, where Spain and Portugal are. That's why by the time of Jesus, there were Jewish diasporas scattered all over the world. Jewish communities all over the world because they had been spread so far by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then other conquerors that had come through. But there's a promise, even in that darkest moment, that you will come back, that you will return. And Jesus came to us, even in our darkest moment, and he brought us from death into life. And he will regather, as he has been regathering the people to Israel. And there will come a day, written of, uh, in the prophet uh, Zechariah, when they will gather and they will look at Jesus and they will see his wounds. They will see the one that they have pierced and they will say, where did you receive these wounds? And he says, I received them in the house of my friends. And they will mourn as for an only son. They will realize what had happened and they will turn their faith towards Jesus. That's a wonderful promise. Because if God is still faithful to Israel, 
then we can know and be assured that no matter what happens, God will love us, be faithful to us. He has not abandoned us. Even in those darkest moments, we are not alone. And we can be so grateful, so comforted, so encouraged, so strengthened by those promises. We can embrace them and trust in them. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. You can join us on Sunday mornings online and in person at 10.30 a.m., either at our building on Hill Road or at faithonhill.com. We gather throughout the week in small groups, and then we have the podcast as well. You just have to search Faith on Hill on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Well, my name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points, and we'll see you next time as we continue looking at the Minor Prophets. 